Today, our scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. You can find that on page 984 in the Black Pew Bible. Colossians 3, starting in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All right, hello again. And if I didn't say so, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome. Would you all pray with me, and then I'll just jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you're a good father. Thank you that you don't mess with us. Thank you that you don't require things of us on a whim. Thank you that you don't ask us to obey you, to get kicks or to flex your muscles or to prove um, that you're worth respecting. Thank you that you love us. That every commandment from your hand is gracious and merciful and kind and good. Thank you that if we ask for a stone, you're not going to give us, you're not going to give us dangerous things or scary things. Thank you that if we ask you for bread, you don't give us rocks. Thank you that if we ask you for food, you're not going to twist things to mess with us. Thank you that you can be trusted. Spirit of God, would you wake up our hearts to love you? Would you wake up our hearts to obey the word of God? Would you unite our hearts as a people to fear your name together, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is, uh, this is Family Sunday, okay? And what we mean by that is this is a Sunday that is the fifth Sunday of the month, and we keep all the kiddos in the service the whole time. So that'll mean a couple different things. One, if it's noisier than normal, right on. We're okay with that. I love it. I love having the kids in here. Second thing is that I'll, I'll, I'll try to uh, keep my sermon a little bit shorter. And, um, and yeah, let me just explain how we, how we do that. We, we utilize the fifth Sunday of the month for Family Sunday. That also gives volunteers an opportunity to get a rest. And normally, there's at least four of those a year. But this year, there's five of those. So we get the kids in here more this year than we would other years, which is fun. Okay. And I also think it's cool. Um, the sovereignty of God arranged it that we were in household codes during a time when the, the kids were going to be in the service. So I was, um, I, I switched what I was going to preach. I'm going to save that for next week, but we're going to, we're going to focus, uh, the sermon around that one verse, which is children obey your parents this morning. So first of all, Kids that are in here, um, I want you to know that in the time that the New Testament was written, Paul wouldn't, or the the other writers and uh, culture of the day wouldn't have spoken directly to the kids. It wouldn't have happened that way. So the fact that Paul's addressing kids directly right here in Colossians at all means he's already subverting convention. 
okay? He's already subverting convention. We tend to act and behave differently than the culture around us as Christians and kids. Your parents might ask you to behave different than your friends, and that's normal. That's okay. We behave differently than the culture around us because we're trying to do what God tells us to do. We're trying to do what God tells us is good for us, and we're trying to do that through the Word of God. Parents are trying to see the world the way that God tells them to see the world, and they're trying to show you the world in the way that God God explains it to us. The text that we're focusing on this morning is children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And we have two categories of people in this text. We have parents and children being addressed. Um, Yeah, we have children and parents and we have a one-sided kind of command aimed at the children. So this means I'm going to spend time this morning first talking to parents and I'm going to spend time this morning talking to children as well. Paul starts with the parents, and so I'm going to start with parents this morning, which means I'll be addressing some some parenting dynamics and what the scripture has to say about how we parent as believers. So before, before any parents get their hopes up that I'm going to bring down the hammer on obedience for the kiddos, that's not the plan today. The plan today is for all of us to gather in and take a shared vision of the beautiful realities that obedience um, presents us with, both, both our obedience to God and our children's obedience to us. This is a Lordship of Christ text this morning. So if you wanted to break up my sermon, you could do it in two parts. The first, uh, point number one is parents first, and point number two is kids second. Really sophisticated. So parents, first off, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, God, God describes himself to us. And this description is early in the Bible, and it's, it's where I want to start because you and I are just like Adam and Eve. We're always willing to believe that God's holding out on us. We're always willing that God's lying to us or both. You and I are very susceptible to believing lies about God. And we need to remember and we need to actively remind ourselves what God says about God, what God says about himself. So Exodus 34 says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So parents, parents in this room, God loves you. Your heavenly father loves you. Your father's merciful to you and your father's gracious to you and your father's slow to anger and your God extends steadfast love to you and he's always faithful to you. He's always abounding in love to you, to you. That's the understanding and experience of God that will reorient how you parent. Because like everything in our lives, our parenting for good or for ill is always an outflowing 
of how you see your heavenly father. Our relationship to God and how we see him has all of these consequences throughout our relationships. How we see God cascades down into all of our other relationships and how we parent our own kids. That's the first thing that we have to keep in mind as you think about parenting. You have a father and he models for you how to love and lead your children. And in order to serve parents this morning, I want to name a specific application related to the nature of how authority kind of moves in the world, and that's found in Matthew 23. So in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses uh, 1 through 4, Jesus says this. He's looking at the people, and he, he tells them, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So they sit with authority over the people, delivering the law of God to the people. The, the, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Parents sit, parents sit in the seat of authority. They sit in the seat of honor and respect, and that authority over their children should be obeyed. It's real. It matters. It's not ultimate authority. It's not absolute authority, but it is genuine authority. And it should be obeyed. And parents, I have to ask, are you, are you measuring the obedience of your children against your own obedience to your heavenly father? Or your, or your own parents? Or are you, are, yeah, are you honoring them? Or are you like the Pharisees placing weights on your children that you're unwilling to bear yourself? Like the Pharisees were saying good things, but, but their practice didn't match what they preached. And I don't want that to be shaming or, or heavy-handed, but I also don't want it to be a joke. Uh, I don't want our culture to make light of the fact that we give instructions for our kids to obey that we might not even, and, and, and at the same time, not even care about obeying God through the scriptures that he provides for us. God's, God's not mocked, and if we sow disobedience, then we'll get disobedience. Kids know when we're telling them to do what we say, but not what we do. And the most convincing teaching method in our toolbox is always by example. That's why we, shouldn't, that's why we should demonstrate as parents the same attitudes and the same sentiments that we want to see. Even, even, even um, as I talked about husbands last week, I want to talk about how parents' actions should be saying to their kids, follow me as I follow Christ. Submit to me as I submit myself in everything to Christ and his word. You can obey me as I obey my heavenly Father. For the rest of this section, I want to name just a couple biblical perspectives or biblical principles related to parenting. And let me say from the jump, 
that this study on like biblical principles for parenting and, and different um, ways that we could maybe invite the Holy Spirit to convict us and change us and transform us has been massively convicting for me daily, hourly. It's convicted me in my sleep. So as I roll through this, I, want, I, I just want you all to know that like the pastors here, me, the elders, we're, we're with you in this unbelievably valuable work of discipling and disciplining and leading and loving and parenting our children. The first principle for parents is, is to lead by example. First Peter 5 commands elders to lead by example, and elders can't be elders if they don't manage their own homes well. It says, leading by example is nowhere more important than it is inside the walls of your home. Inside the walls of your home. Just this week, I told my wife, as I saw one of our daughters speaking in this kind of exasperated tone of voice to her sister, man, I know I get exasperated from her. She's taking her, her cues from me. And in that second, I'm, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. And it's not funny or silly or something to let myself off the hook for. It's an opportunity to stop and repent. And for kids in the room, what, is, what does it mean to repent? Turning, to, turning away from and turning to God. Yeah, turning away from sin and turning to Jesus is how we say it in my house. Do you long for your children to shed their anxiety? Ask yourself, how do you encounter your own? Do you long for your children to love God and be devoted to God and grow in their love for God? Then ask, how is that being demonstrated in my own behavior? Because a string of behaviors makes a pattern and patterns of behaviors make liturgies over the years of our lives. So what kind of liturgies are you using right now, whether conscious or unconscious, to shape your kids? Because the day in and day out is shaping them. Is shaping them. Anything you teach your kids raises the bar for you first. Anything we teach our kids raises the bar for parents first. Anything you want them to say or anything you want them to do a certain way raises the bar of commitment for you and me first. If you don't take the burden of your kids' obedience and kids' formation and apply it to yourself first, it's because we want to lay heavy burdens on them that we're not willing to carry ourselves. They need your commitment. They need your planning. They need your sacrifice. They need you to measure your own attitudes and obedience to God in the, with the same kind of weight that you would put on them to obey. This is a place where we also need desperately just to apply verses, verses in the Bible like Matthew 7. What, what specs, what problems, what issues exist in the eyes of your children when we have logs sticking out of our own eyes? What piece of dust do you harp on your kids about when you have a log sticking out of your own eye? Ask yourself, have you even applied ever that scripture verse instead of merely horizontal relationships, but actually in a parenting reality? Those um, actions that we have, those things impact our children. Jesus says that we should first take the log out of our own eye, and then you'll see clearly to deal with the specks in your children's eyes. 
There's so many, there's so many books and blogs and YouTube channels and Instagram, Instagram reels that, um, that give you, you know, all kinds of parenting advice 24-7, nonstop, all day. That it, Sometimes it's easy to forget simple verses that we don't even apply to the parent-child relationship at all. The second principle for our parents is, is, man, try not to have double standards in your home. Sometimes parents are tempted to say, really tempted to say things like, do what I say and not what I do. And I get it, your kids can't have beer, so you, and you can, so there are times when, when what you do is not okay for them to do. But you can't instruct them to obey a standard or a principle and then violate it constantly and expect to get good results. Jesus said, don't do what the Pharisees practice because they don't apply the good law of Moses correctly. And we don't want to be in that boat with our kids. One quick example is, how do mom and dad speak to one another? How do mom and dad speak to one another? And what I mean is, moms, how do you talk to dad? Do you speak down to him or disrespectfully to dad? Or are you speaking in a demeaning way to dad? If that's so, it follows that you can't expect your children to respect him either. And moms... Yeah, moms, dads, how do you talk to mom? Do you belittle her or dishonor her? Or are you ungrateful for all the impact that she has on the family? If that's the case, it follows that you can't ask your kids to treat your, wi- your wife with respect when you don't. You can try to, but it won't work. In my home, in my home we spank for three things, for, for lying, for disobedience, and disrespecting mom. And how confusing would it be if my kids had to watch me disrespect my wife and then receive discipline for the exact same reality? It's, hard to, it's, not, it's not hard to imagine how that kind of double standard might sow some pretty destructive attitudes in our kids and pretty destructive perspectives in our kids. The third principle for parents is demonstrate the power of reconciliation and restored fellowship made possible in the gospel. A short way to say that is repent in front of your kids. Repent in front of your kids. Repent to your kids. Get down in their faces and say, Daddy sinned. That was wrong. Would you please forgive me. Say, mommy sinned. That was wrong for me to do that. Would you please forgive me? This is a principle that's self-evident. Live out the gospel in front of your kids like you actually believe it. Like you believe it. One way I do this is I even confess to my wife and kids and I ask forgiveness at times that I'm convicted in my, my own home when I've put off discipline. I literally apologize for not spanking. And that's not even a joke. I say, Daddy should have disciplined you earlier. I shouldn't have let this go this long. Would you please forgive me? I say, Rochelle, I shouldn't have let this go on this long. That was not loving for me to do. Would you please forgive me? Maybe practice saying it biblically. Try using biblical language if you don't already. Acknowledging sin 
acknowledging sin and asking for forgiveness explicitly. Um, we use I'm sorry, quote unquote, we use the phrase I'm sorry way more than we use the phrase I sinned and it was wrong for me to do that. And it tends to operate more like a pardon or an apology, uh, an excuse maybe. Um, we, we, we use in my home, we use I'm sorry for accidents, for like whoops kind of situations, like bumps in the hallway. That's an excuse me, I'm sorry kind of situation. But we say I sinned when my three-year-old hits my six-year-old with a broom. It was wrong for me to do that. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry isn't really how reconciliation and forgiveness happen in the scriptures. We are to be reconciled and acknowledge and own our sin. We own it so that we can be cleansed from it. So practice owning your sin to your spouse and practice owning your sin to your kiddos, show them, show them the beauty of forgiveness and reconciliation that's made available to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that will shape, that will shape how your kids understand who God is. Parents don't have a choice especially fathers, and I'll talk more about this next week, but everything that you do or don't do, everything that you do or don't do is telling your kids something about God. What you do or don't do is telling them something about what their heavenly father does or doesn't do. And listen carefully, I'm not saying that you should show them what God is like, even though that would be a true statement. I'm saying you don't have a choice. I'm saying that how you behave is communicating to them something about God. Whatever you do or don't do is already functioning that way for kids. That's how God designed us. Parents, how you act is telling your kids what God's like, and how you act is telling them the truth about how he, how he operates, or it's telling them something false about how he operates. Children are the best observers and the worst interpreters. The best observers and the worst interpreters, much like you and I. That's a quote, that's a quote that I've carried around for a lot of years. The last principle I'm going to touch on for parents this morning is, parents, it's okay to need a plan. You all need a plan. I need a plan. How do you make decisions? Why do you make them for those, the decisions that you make? Who says? So let, let me be clear. Making a plan won't make us consistent. Making a plan won't, won't make you consistent automatically, but it will give you a goal and it will give you an opportunity an opportunity to aim at something um, and get you and your spouse on the same page. And I'm not kidding when I say this, it will give you, it'll give you an opportunity to notice places in your life that you're hypocritical so that you can apply the other principle and go and believe the gospel and repent and humble yourself. God resists the proud. It will give you an opportunity at the times that you fail to go back and repent. If you know what the target is, when you fail, you'll go back to your kiddos and say, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I sinned. I shouldn't have done that. 
Yeah, it will give you an opportunity to grow in humility and repentance in the grace of God. A plan gives you and your spouse a shared target so that you and your spouse know what you're aiming at. They know what the goal is. They know what you're going for. What are we, what are we even doing this for anyways? What do we want to see God do in these little hearts? How do we want to see God shape them? And getting on the same page about how that happens is critical, critical. It's loving to prepare. It's loving to plan for how you will love and discipline your children. It's loving to revisit the plan and ask how you're doing. It's loving to to improvise as little as possible by having clear principles for discipline and 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 uh, behavior in place. One more quick kind of point for parents this morning I, I want to say is that um, a joyful home is, is a disciplined home. When you hear the word discipline, it has a lot in common with the word disciple, right? It's about formation. It's about um, shaping your kids way more than it is about um, punishment, right? It's about... Um, leading them and loving them and pointing them in the right way. Scripture is clear. Scripture is clear that God disciplines every son that he loves. If God didn't discipline us, that would mean that he didn't love us. So whatever it takes for you, love your kids with the same way that God loves us. And a disciplined home is a joyful home. Discipline restores relationships and fellowship and makes the boundaries clear so that we can run and play and sing and go nuts with smiles and laughter and dancing and playing. A joyful home is the goal. A joyful home is the goal, not a military regimen. A joyful home is the goal. One of the best things that parents can do for their kids is enjoy them. Enjoy them. Your heavenly father enjoys you, enjoys you. One of the best things you can do is to enjoy your kids. And it's way easier if you help them be obedient and God honoring kids, kids that mind, kids that listen. God the father, your heavenly father enjoys you. He says that in the scriptures in no uncertain terms. He sings over you. And delights in you. In fact, he rescues you. We read in the Psalms, he rescues you, rescues you because he delights in you. So one of the most powerful things that you can do for your children is enjoy them. Enjoy them. They are God's gift to you. Every second of every day. It's, yeah. Okay, parents first, kids second. Now that we've encouraged the grown-ups in the room, it's time to talk to, to the kids in this room. And this verse says, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. And I'm going to go over just a few ideas for the kiddos in the room, some principles to help you obey your parents. The first one is God disciplines his children, like I said a second ago. And I want all the kids here to know that when mommy and daddy don't obey, God disciplines them. 
God disciplines them. Mom and dad have to obey the same way you have to obey. If I don't obey, my heavenly father disciplines me because he loves me. And your mom and dad don't just do whatever they want. They have to do what God says because he's their father and he loves them. And all of his instructions are healthy and good and right and true and loving. So children, by that I mean anybody in the room who, whose parents still provide for all of their functioning in the world. Your parents are in authority over you. And obeying your parents is preparing you for a life that listens to God. It's practice for a life that listens to God and obeys God. If we do not defer to authority, specifically the authority of our parents in the home and the authority of those other people in the world that God has put over us, we ultimately rob ourselves of the ability to grow because God has made the world in such a way that the only way we grow is in proper deference to authority, one scholar says. The second principle I want for the kids is your parents are trying to do what's best for you. They're trying to do what's best for you. Your mom and dad know things that you don't know. The Bible's clear that life teaches things to people and your parents are trying to learn the lessons that life provides so they can be wise and they can love you well, okay? For the most part, they are trying to require your obedience because they want what's best for you. They're trying to do what's good for you. It's just like how God wanted what was best for Adam and Eve in the garden, but Adam and Eve were tempted to think that they knew more than God, and then they sinned. They sinned, and they ate some fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. They disobeyed God because they knew that they knew more than God knew. Well, your parents know more than you. They know more than you, and they love you, and they're trying to do what's good for you. When Adam and Eve sinned, it broke fellowship, and it makes things feel different and not good. That's why when you disobey your parents, it makes things feel off or broken and not good. But listening and obeying keeps the relationship pure and connected and together. Obedience keeps fellowship with God connected and flowing and right. God's heart is pleased when you obey mom and dad, and his heart is pleased with mom and dad when they obey him. If mom and dad sin, because mom and dad are sinners, they're going to get it wrong. They will sin. It breaks their friendship with God in a way that they come back to him and say, I sinned. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And God is always faithful to forgive us every single time. God made us with hearts that know when we sin. God made us with hearts that know when we sinned. And that helps us go to God and repent again. It helps us turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. And Jesus always forgives. He died so that he could always, always, always forgive. Okay, in summary, parents in the room, man, remember that every standard you place on your kids raises our bar first. It raises our commitment first. And kids in the room, your mom and dad love you. They love you. They want you to grow up and love and obey God. They want you to know him and love him and love what he says to do because that's how we were made to live. If we try to live any other way, it will not work. It'll end in heartache and it'll end in destruction. 
Your parents are trying to help you obey God and listen to God. That will help you when you don't live with your parents anymore to love and obey God and then someday raise your own kids to love and obey God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that every single instruction that you give to us is for our good. Thank you for telling us the truth that man can't live by food alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So would you help us live on the right thing? Would you help us live on your word? Would you help the parents in this room to listen to you and to love your standards and to submit all of their opinions and ideas to the word of God? Spirit of God, would you convict the children in this room to listen to mom and dad and obey, to love Jesus? Would you awaken faith in the hearts of the children in this room right now? Would you quicken faith in this room? Would you regenerate the hearts of our kiddos in this church? And would you do it now, Lord? Would you do it today? Would you strengthen parents in this room? Would you bolster the, like, the weary or the stumbling or the wobbly? Would you give them faith? Would you strengthen them? Would you strengthen their understanding of your love for them so that uh, they're empowered and filled with zeal to parent with joy, with joy, taking whatever you give them from your hand as a blessing for their lives? We ask all of this thing, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for the glory of God. Amen. We, we mentioned to our people at the last members meeting that we needed you all to be praying because we were uh, beginning to explore some options for us as a staff and church for some office space that we needed and some office spaces that we've long needed. Some ideas that we had originally to put offices in these buildings have turned out to be much more involved and expensive and impractical than we first hoped. And that fact just reminds me again that this property wasn't purchased for all of our needs to be met in that way when it was first purchased. It was purchased with a multi-site strategy by a, a governing body of elders that's long since been gone, and that strategy has long since been gone. So we have and we still are making the best use of both buildings, and God's doing tons of work in you and tons of work through the properties that he's given us and the buildings that he's given us, and that's amazing. For those of you that don't know, the staff is really scattered throughout the these two spaces. We don't get to work closely with one another, and that's not ideal for our staff culture. And I think it hurts things like camaraderie and cohesion and just togetherness and, and forward momentum as a staff. It's far from ideal, and, and we've been asking God for a solution related to that for a long time, a long time. We love this church, and there, there are real limitations to what we can do to make these two spaces work. So, uh, no one on staff is complaining. Nobody is uh, entitled. We all are grateful and thankful for what we have, and we'll make the best with what we have. But we've also been asking God to do something. I even ask the men's prayer on Thursday mornings sometimes to pray that God would give us more property or, or answer those kinds of questions for us and bring us solutions. 
Um, and that's only, you know, if it made sense and God made a way for that to happen. So that's the way we've been praying consistently for, for years now. And our vision for this church is that you and your families would grow in maturity, would grow in love and grow in mission. And we expect that to spread, to spread. When the spirit of God moves, he always bursts the kind of boundaries that we set him Uh, we we set on him. And the movement of God in this place is already spilling over the edges. For instance, I long to, to make Luther Hall more hospitable and inviting and practical for families in a focused way instead of it being a kind of mixed use space. I want the buildings that we have and the resources that we have to demonstrate that we love to pour into our kiddos and we love to pour into our students. And I want what we do or how we, how we even arrange things physically to communicate that. So we have a vision for impact both inside the building and beyond what we do on Sunday. We want all of our resources to serve the mission of God. I want us to be asking all the time, what are other like-minded churches in the area that we can partner with and collaborate with? What are other movements? What else is God doing throughout the metro area that we could link arms with? What are other... um, other, other movements or realities going on in specific communities that you guys overlap with? And where can we provide space for those communities to have meetings, conversations, for plans and brainstorming to happen? Those are the things that I, I, I would love to see God provide for us to be a part of the broader activity of God. I want our resources to be used to cultivate communities of transformed disciples of Jesus Christ who live for the glory of God. And they do that through, um, through communion and cultivation and transformation and vocation. We want to train and equip the saints to love and lead their families and see the church equipped for the work of the ministry. And that means children and students and adults and everybody, everybody. And as the elders prayed, as we planned, we, we actually got a knock on the door that we weren't expecting. The owner of that pharmacy building straight south of us was saying things that got our attention. He was saying that he needed to move for reasons that he couldn't control. He didn't even want to move, but he had to because there was equipment that was being required for the type of pharmacy that he is, and he had to go shop for a new property somewhere else. And in, and in addition to that, in addition to that, he and his wife were saying, and we would love for it to go to a church just like your church. And so we started listening. Basically, he needed to sell, and he and his wife loved the vision of selling to a church just like ours. His son, even at one point, was attending the Midtown congregation. But at that time, we weren't shopping for property, to be honest. Uh, we, we told him that we, we could talk about it, but we weren't really looking. And at the same time, the elders of our church Oh yeah, that's right. At the same time that this is going on, the elders of the Midtown congregation that we came out of, um, those elders are voting to pay off all the debt on both of these buildings that we have right now. So our resources and our bottom line is, is encountering a surplus that it had never encountered before. Okay? We decided that we would just slowly keep talking 
right? We would keep having conversations. We would prayerfully move forward and keep the conversation open. And that conversation started in the summer and we've been praying and walking up to the next conversation and the next conversation and the next conversation and God, that God set in front of us, door after door kept being opened, kept being opened. Out of respect for the seller, I won't say exact details, but the property also is being, was being offered to us at roughly 30% below market rate. 30% below what it appraises for, okay? And, we, and so we kept talking and we kept moving forward. We, we hear things like that and we didn't just act immediately. We kept having more conversations, more prayer, more elder meetings. Then we hired a company of our own to come and conduct a 80-page inspection of the property. And that inspection came back with a positive report. And we kept praying and taking each conversation to the Lord and saying, Lord, it looks like you're opening these doors. Would you give us wisdom as we take just the next step? So we haven't pushed. We really haven't even negotiated. It was just set in our laps. The seller needed us to make a decision. And so a few weeks after our last members meeting, we prayed more and waited more. We looked at our expenses. We verified that we're in a strong financial position and we thought about plans for the future. And after all of that, finally, we came together and we said, okay, let's move forward on what we believe is the direction that God's leading us right now as a church. We met with some members of the church. We raised money to contribute to a down payment for the church. We asked all of you to pray for us for wisdom. And then a few weeks after our last members meeting, the elders were able to move forward with a real offer for that property. And God willing, we will close this week and take possession of a new asset for our church. Yeah, it's been, it's been really, really, it's been really crazy. And we've just, we've seen what we can only, what we can only understand is God's hand in this. So keep praying for us. But I do want to give you a few more uh, details uh, before this is over. The first one is, is that the property's not empty, okay? So if you think, uh, if you come knocking on the door of that building looking for one of us, you won't find us. You'll find a, a pharmacist. It isn't empty because the owner of the pharmacy couldn't uh, get out in, in the amount of time that he wanted to, so we purchased a new asset that we aren't paying any significant costs on for the church, okay? It's leased, it's rented at least until February, and um, before we bought it, we had zero debt. Now we have a little bit of debt, but not only will the cost of carrying that debt not even hit our books until the spring, but we are well within our standards to afford it. Okay, the building's only 15 years old. It's in good shape. It has 4,000 square feet, two on the bottom, two on the top. It has bathrooms on both floors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has a break room. It has a kitchen. It'll provide, what we envision right now is that it will provide really great space for things like a real commercial printer to print curriculum and things like that. When we used to actually have to share that reality with the Midtown um, elders in the Midtown congregation. So um, provide space for um, a commercial printer, provide space for our team to work closely together and collaborate and stir kind of like team culture that's richer than it used to be. That's something that we've never had in Johnson County ever. Um, 
Yes, space for our team to work together, provide a conference room and meeting space. This is a desire that I have that's really strong for ministry initiatives that aren't necessarily only here on Sundays, right? I envision our people being awakened to the mission of God in their communities or even just have a vision for what God might do beyond the church walls and us have places where those conversations are happening, where whiteboards are being drawn on and and vision is being kind of catalyzed for different things that God's doing in our church. I'd love to see it impact way beyond just us. Now, for the sake of clarity, at this moment, nothing really changes. Nothing changes. The holidays are right around the corner. So right now, would you please just spend time praying for God to lead us, for God to give us wisdom, and for more financial resources to come in this year than we expected than we expected. After the new year, we will begin making plans for exactly how we'll remodel and how we'll use the building and exactly how we'll rearrange or reorganize the spaces in Luther Hall to make them more accommodating and practical on Sundays and throughout the week. So uh, God's God's provided in really, really amazing ways for this church in, frankly, astounding ways for your elders and, um, and we're just absolutely thrilled about what God's going to do in the months and years to come. So I want to just praise God for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And with that, would you all stand up and receive with me this benediction? Hey, we'll send out an email this week just with more of those details on paper so you can see them and read about it. But for now, uh, yeah, for now, would you receive this benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always until the day of Christ's return. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace and we'll see you next week.